a diversion podcast in association with iHeartRadio. This is The GOAT, Serena. The, the beautiful thing about Serena working is she loves tennis and she loves fashion and she loves like it. So, so her work, she's putting her love towards that. You know, the great Khalil Gibran in this book called The Prophet says work is love. He says work is love made visible. So I, I believe as hard as she works, you can feel the love coming through it. Anything she does, she gives her all. Like she gives 110%. And, you know, I definitely witnessed, you know, the dedication of of her, like just being committed to, to being greater, to being a better tennis player. Only the strong survive, only. So I have to be strong. What has really stood out to me is Serena's record, talk about stages, when I talked sort of about that middle between 2000 and say five and beginning of 2008 and the commitment level dropped off and then Patrick sort of took over as head coach. That really again elevated Serena and I would say her record in her 30s really is what has set her apart. Welcome to The GOAT, Season 2, Serena. I'm Chanda Rubin, former world number six, Grand Slam singles semifinalist and doubles champion, alongside my co-host, Zena Garrison, a former Wimbledon finalist, world number four, and Olympic gold medalist. In this podcast, part of Diversion's GOAT series, Zena and I and our guest celebrate the career and life of Serena Williams. We'll trace her path as she evolved from an outlier in the tennis establishment into the all-time Grand Slam singles champion and ultimately a cultural icon. In this episode, The Holy Grail of Longevity, Part 1, We'll delve into how Serena has managed to remain dominant and relevant for over two decades spent at or very near the peak of the game. In this episode, we'll focus on the physical sources of Serena's amazing longevity. In a later episode, we'll also take a deeper look at the psychological and emotional demands of longevity as well as the mental health issues that have become an important part of the tennis conversation. Joining us is the fitness trainer responsible for keeping Serena up and running, a remarkable but seldom highlighted man named Mackie Shillstone. He will tell us some amazing stories about Serena's strength and determination, as well as some priceless personal anecdotes. Also, We'll chat with a Hall of Famer who knows all about career longevity and the long journey to goathood, 18-time Grand Slam champion Martina Navratilova. But let's start with this. That quote from Common that opens the show is amazing. Making your work an expression of love and to show your capacity for love in your work is a rare gift. It's also the ticket to the kind of deep personal satisfaction that has lifted Serena to unimaginable heights, motivating and sustaining her. The routine of tennis can be tiresome, even for the most diligent, passionate pro. 
But if your work is also your way of expressing your love, the challenging life of an elite athlete seems more manageable, more enriching. When your work is love, what you're doing becomes an art form. It's no accident that the source of that observation, Khalil Gibran, was a poet. But let's face it, Serena is not a poet. She is first and foremost an athlete. Her work is often physical in the most basic way, gritty, sweaty, painful. It demands stamina, recuperative powers, plain old strength. Serena has shown those qualities in abundance, despite brushes with mortality, depression, injury, and surgery. She's continued to win, and win big through it all. Her work is love. We've all kept a close count of Serena's Grand Slam triumphs. We can tick them off one by one, sometimes with details like her final round opponent, until we hit that magic number 23. But set that aside for now and tell me this. How many significant injuries has Serena dealt with? How many surgeries has she had to undergo? How many health challenges, including potentially fatal ones, has she navigated only to emerge triumphant yet again, champion and conqueror? It's remarkable, but even the NFL's GOAT Tom Brady hasn't compiled as deep a list of injuries and ills. Well, here's a rough count of the toll taken on Serena by injuries of one kind or another. Over her career, Serena withdrew before or during 10 Grand Slam events, as well as 13 other top-tier events. Nearly every part of her anatomy, feet, knees, back, and shoulders, has failed her at some time, and she has had to recover from five different surgeries, the first at the end of the 2003 season. Bear in mind that the pain, loss of form, the wear and tear on the athletic body, and the nagging questions about the future that play in an athlete's mind during long layoffs are powerful negative agents that can narrow a player's vision and make longevity seem out of reach. Yet every time, Serena bounced back. Many times, she bounced back stronger than ever. Victories over those injuries are as much a part of her legacy as the wins she put up in all those Grand Slam titles. She has returned from near oblivion on a number of occasions. She crafted the most sensational of those rebounds in 2007 at the Australian Open. We'll take a closer look at that tournament in an upcoming episode, but the essential details at the moment are that by the summer of 2006, her ranking had fallen to number 139, her lowest since 1997, due largely to continuing struggles after the death of her sister, which kept her off the tour. She played a little at the end of the year, but went into the Australian Open ranked number 81, the butt of criticism and cruel humor for appearing to be out of shape. Many of her fans were dismayed by what they perceived as her lack of focus on her profession. Suffering from a severe cold with blisters on both feet, 
Serena struggled in the early going at the 2007 Australian Open. She nearly lost in the third round, which by most standards would already be an impressive comeback. But not for Serena. She persevered, made some narrow escapes, and allowed Maria Sharapova just three games in the final. Serena became the first unseeded player to win the tournament since its renaissance as a major event. It was her first tournament win of any kind in 24 months. That major title was Serena's eighth, and it marked the greatest pivot point in her career. Although she was already on the rise again, she also made two important additions to her team in 2007. She hired Mackie Shillstone as her fitness trainer and Sasha Bain as her hitting partner. Shillstone has remained with Serena until the present day. Bain worked with Serena for eight years. That epic performance in Australia helped set the pattern of expectations that would again mount as she continued to blaze her way into the record books. Serena's ability to manage rising expectations, including her own, and her willingness to handle the pressure that came with her growing status were key talents that help account for her longevity. ESPN tennis analyst Mary Jo Fernandez Serena's 2012 Olympic Games coach put it into perspective very nicely when she told us. I feel like it's, she does the impossible. I mean, she's been doing it for so long and let's face facts. I mean, she's been through a lot. Remember with her health, um, she's had injuries, you know, she became a mom. I mean, she's, she's gone through so, so much and she still finds a way to persevere and come out on top again. Um, So yeah, it's, it's really impressive. I think the hard thing with Serena from a public, you know, from the public stand is we expect Serena to win all the time. That's <laughs> she's been so good for so long. So whether, you know, she came out of the hospital yesterday, whether, <laughs> you, know, you know, she uh, hasn't played in, you know, a year, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. She's Serena. She's supposed to be superwoman and she should be winning everything. Yeah. Let's turn to the mechanic who has been in charge of keeping that amazing vehicle called Serena running and in top shape for the past decade and a half. Mackie Shillstone is old school. He wasn't a tennis guy until he met Serena. His former clients include former heavyweight champ Michael Spinks, Peyton Manning, U.S. Army Rangers, and even actor Linda Hamilton, who wanted to do her own stunts in the movie Terminator Dark Fate. So let's bring in the 71-year-old fitness guru Serena calls Medicare Mackie. Mackie, welcome. And first, I want to ask you, what what do you call yourself? You wear so many hats. You've worked with some incredible athletes like Serena Williams, most notably. But what do you call yourself? What's your title? Wow. um, (laughs) That's the $64,000 question. Well, I have two master's degrees and two undergraduate degrees, but... Let's say in 1982, Michael Spinks was a light heavyweight and I was brought in to fix issues. And we went on to solidify the light heavyweight title and then win the world heavyweight title, which actually put me on the map, Uh, never had been done before. And that eventually led to uh, Serena Williams' mother 
Mackey's path to Serena was an interesting one. His work with heavyweight boxing champion Riddick Bowe impressed Bowe's manager, Rock Newman. He was friends with Cora Berry, the former chairwoman of the Washington, D.C. Boxing and Wrestling Commission. Newman told Barry that Mackey might make a great trainer for the daughter of her friend, Orsine Williams. Barry reached out to the Williamses to make the introduction, but neither her parents nor Serena could be blamed if they were a little confused about what exactly Mackey did. Getting back to that $64,000 question, Mackey said, I do know during the pandemic that one of the shows I really enjoyed, and my wife watched it too, I came to, con to the conclusion I'm a fixer. Because Ray Donovan, the, the, the show on Netflix, he would fix things in Hollywood, except I haven't resorted yet to hiding bodies, chopping up <laughs> bodies, or eliminating issues to that point. But I, I have people that actually, well, they don't chop up people, but they do eliminate bad people for our government. <laughs> so, so you're a fixer on I'm the fitness side. With the uh, Terminator movie that I um, did uh, in 2019 for James Cameron, I manage, the, I manage what I normally do, the nutrition, I manage the um, exercise physiology, the psychology, the rehabilitation, the body composition adjuster for Linda Hamilton. Mm. And it was a 10-month project, and she ended up doing all her stunts at 62 years of age. We'll be right back with more of our conversation with Mackie Shillstone on The GOAT, Serena. Mackie had conversations with Orsine and Richard Williams, and he also spoke with Serena sometime before the Australian Open of 2006. At the time, Serena was still mourning the 2003 death of older sister Yatundi Price, the victim of mistaken identity in a drive-by shooting in Los Angeles. Serena also was trying to overcome a knee injury that caused her to lose fitness. A shell of her former self, Serena lost in that 2006 tournament in the third round. And then I got another call. She had lost that year in uh, Australia in early in the early rounds, maybe by the second round. And she got on a plane and they didn't know where she was going. And she let me know she's coming to New Orleans, my hometown. And it was during Mardi Gras. So nobody so, knew where she was. Yeah, well, they, they, they she says, I'm coming in. Well, I, I said, I better understand who Serena Williams is. <laughs> and so she gets on the plane. She ends up in New Orleans. I arranged and actually paid for her suite in the Hilton Hotel, close to, uh, away from downtown where the Mardi Gras mm. was, and in a suburb. So she comes in, and so um, she lets me know she's there. She's in the, I had her picked up. Um, you know, I can't let a lady come in and just try, go where she's going to go in my town, you know? <laughs> so I pick her up and get her in there, and she, I get to the Hilton in a suburb of New Orleans, and we'll make a long story short, I'm thinking, wow, is it proper for me to go up? And so she says, Mac, come on up. Well, I come up and she's on the sofa laid out because she's gone through time zones and asleep. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, <laughs> wow, no one will believe this. You see, by that time, my reputation was, at whatever I do, was already established. 
And I knew that she was already an established, well, I hate to word, use the word star. Yes, but, but she was. I mean, yeah, 2007, yeah, but, absolutely. Right. right. And so she sat there and it came down to it. And I said, look, Serena, I don't miss any words. I said, when I come in there, I said, you have no idea what you're getting into. I said, <laughs> I won't make you do anything that I won't do. Like when you saw Zena running 72 sprints and I broke it, she couldn't do it. And then I told her, I told her, get off the field. I'm going to finish. And I said, this is an embarrassment. It isn't going to happen like this. And, you know, she wait, wait, me this was well. recent. This, this was, was recent. This was That's, recent. This and, was and, recent. And, and okay. Mackie, I have to get, tell a little bit of that story. <laughs> we were on the field and Mackie's having her run all these sprints and everything. She gets wait, I'm little, with her now. She's, he's, she's with her, gets a little... When this did, is in 2021. This is in 2021. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so she's like, she's done. He said, you're going to let a 70-year-old man beat you? <laughs> and if you could have saw her face when she turned around and looked, and she took a couple of steps, and Mackie kept running, and it was all over there. She went right back and started working out. <laughs> well, you see, I'll flash down and say about five years ago, well, I'm running, and we're in, in, in Palm Beach Gardens, and I'm there. And she's, we're running these sprints. They're, they're really intense. And you get 19 seconds recovery, or 12 seconds recovery, 10 seconds recovery. And you're running. Uh, and you have to make times. And it's brutal. And, and she f- falls out. And I, I have a Medicare card. I pulled you know, my wallet, <laughs> went over, and threw it on the ground. And I said, I'm Medicare Mackie. And I said, you let Medicare Mackie do this to you? Well, no one's around. And, you know, she walks off and says, like, then I said, that's not going to happen. And I said, I'm prepared to die here and you're trying to survive. So how did they develop this amazing trust the two of them share? Just what was it about Serena that made Mackie stick with her after some of those early miscues? And what was it about Mackie, besides the unusual fitness of an AARP-eligible trainer, that appealed to Serena. Because when I gave her every opportunity to quit and beat her down, she says, Mackie, they'll have to drag me out. And I think what what showed me everything, because I will test you and do, I'll have you do what I do, which is very scary, Mm. seriously. And I saw in her this ability to rise above her weaknesses, her fatigue. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. And I told Serena, I said, Serena, we've got to bring your opponent to the fatigue threshold. We've got, and you've got to survive to do that. And at that point, that's only 10% margin. And that's where you win mm. because your mind is stronger. But both of you have to be at a broken point. And then there will be one person to survive. And I said, and that's what we're going to work to. And, and, and I, I just watched her over time. And you see, I come at the sport differently. About, uh, I guess about four years ago when she asked me to go to Wimbledon. And um, I, I, I was there and I brought my wife and I, we were staying, were staying with Esther, the physical therapist. And before we went there, I said, you're going to play this doubles? She says, yeah. I said, you're playing with Venus? I said, you're going to tire yourself out. And I said, what? And I said, I know you're doing it for hand-eye coordination. And I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. 
I said, if this woman comes up to the net, I want you to slam it in her chest. <laughs> I said, slam her. Matt, Matt and is I that said, the military and part you, of you? That's the military part of you coming out, right? Well, yeah, I said, you're going to slam. That's the one sh- shoot first, die last. One shot, one kill. And I said to her, you are going to hit him. And, and we would run and she'd come up and slam. And then, so she, here we are. And I'm sitting next to, I, I'm at the doubles, and I'm sitting it next to Andre Talley, you know, from mm. Vogue and mm-hmm. all that. And I'm thinking to Serena when he was down close in the, in the, by the locker room, I said, what, is he an NFL player? I mean, this guy's got the biggest hands I've ever seen. <laughs> Turned out he's the nicest guy. I think I'm sitting next to a big NFL guy. And so we're sitting at the doubles. And, and he's sitting next to me telling everybody to shut up because they're talking. And Serena's going up to the net and the girl hits her. I stand up, payback. And he says, sit down, Matt, you can't do that. And so, and so. You Serena's, said payback, Mackie. Mackie, you and said so payback. I said payback. And, and, and so this is at Wimbledon. And so the bottom line was. She wins, she and Venus wins it, and the woman comes up to the net and she smacks her. And when it's all over and and they won, she comes out. I'm sitting in the ante room just waiting with everyone else. I'm not, she walks over to me and said, You happy now? Are you really happy? I said, I said, Well, it's about time. You've been, you've been, you've been, you've been slapped. And she says, I know. And I paid it back. And I said, great. I said, now we're on the same page. My co-host Zena was among the select number of people who had a firsthand look at how Serena and Mackie connected and worked together when she joined Serena's coaching team in Florida during a training block. She's aware of the role Mackie played in Serena's recovery from two potentially life-threatening pulmonary embolisms. Those were serious medical issues and they produced a response that told a lot about what Serena would do in the name of fitness, as well as the take no prisoners way that Mackie operates. I want to tap a little bit uh, on because, you know, the time that I had to spend with you for six, you know, a couple of weeks down um, when I was in Florida with Serena and you, I was just amazed about your knowledge. But one of the things that's always her recovery after the embolism in 2011, like what impact, because I know you, I know that you've had a lot of impact on her injuries, um, recovery and things that she does from there. Well, that's an interesting story because I was there after the uh, first pulmonary embolism and then the second. And it's a really amazing story. Um, You also have to figure in that you can't forget that what started to trigger it was when when she had that accident and tore the tendon in the in Mm. the lateral aspect of her foot. So Mm. remember, that's what started it. So people think about pulmonary embolism. Okay, that that is a blood clot that ends up in the lungs, but it can also end up in the kidneys and it can go a lot of different into the stomach and a lot of different places. So when that happened, to be honest with the first one. Serena was in three hours of being dead. Wow. And she was in Los Angeles within three hours. And so the interesting story, so she's coming back from that and we're coming back from that first injury because she did it to herself again, hitting her foot, getting on a plane 
going to Australia. That's mm-hmm. how it happened the second time. But what happened, I've tested Serena uh, with extensive VO2 max, uh, that's endurance capacity, wearing the mask and, mm-hmm. and all the type of things that I've done in my hospital-affiliated program. So I know Serena like I know my athletes, Peyton Manning or any of the thousands. I approach it the same model. And so I knew where she was. So here I come in. We've got the green light to go, to go, go into training. So I get a green light. Oh, my God. That's a green light <laughs> that it's a dragster. It's gone, okay? It isn't just, okay, let's meander into it. And so um, I never will forget this. We're in the Palm Beach Gardens on the, at the Ballon Isles, and we're on the, I think it was um, it's clay, and, and Serena's hitting. And all of a sudden she comes over and there's a chair sitting there and she bends over the chair and I see her pulling for air here. All right. That's a deep pull. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. I know her fitness is better than this. Well, so I went home on the weekend. I called up my pulmonologist. Uh, They talked to me about uh, the pulmonary embolism. That, and, and again, anything I'm telling you medically is out there because I would not want to exactly. violate the HIPAA laws in the mm-hmm, United mm-hmm. States. But the a pulmonary embolism is addressed after the first one. You start to see whether you are a candidate for another one. Their blood tests mm-hmm. and all of that can be done. I've done that in my programs. And they said, Mackie, measure her O2 saturation and heart rate. Well, O2 saturation is... And you saw me doing it, uh, um, and I did yes. it on you. <laughs> uh, 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 yes, she did. Now, Maggie, don't tell my secrets now. <laughs> okay, all right. So, tell. so, so uh, the idea behind that was, if your OT saturation drops down six percent, you got a problem. And so I come back on that Monday, and I see her coming over. So I've got a baseline saturation on her, and it's it's down low. So I had Esther, a physical therapist, call up and talk to the pulmonologist. And he said, he said to tell me, or he didn't know my name. He said, tell him that that's expected and he can work through this. So what I did was I said, Serena, we got, uh, we, our opponents got a hundred troops. And I said, you started with a hundred, but I think I'm going to pull a number. You got about 88, but we're going to have to fight like a hundred. And she says, what do you mean? I said, well, we're going to do something and it's going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me, but it's going to be the answer. And I said, we're we're going to your pool in the back of your house. Mm. And she said, why? I said, tell the lady that's cleaning the house. I want a big bleach bottle. And I said, we're going to, you're going to become a Navy SEAL. She (laughs) says, I'm going to do what? I said, we're going to survive. And I said, and don't make me jump in because I'll get my tennis shoes wet and I don't want those shoes wet. And I said, and so I, so I, I got the bleach bottle, cleaned it out about this big and no one can see it, but I'm talking the big bleach Clorox bleach bottle that everybody knows in the pandemic now. And it's got those handles on the side. And I said, Serena, I'm going to put a heart rate on you, my monitor on you and electricity conducts in the water in the from water. So I'll see it over on the sidelines. And I said, go out there in the deep end. And I said, you fill that thing with water. And I said, and then raise it above your head. 
And I said, and you can't stop until all the water's gone and you're going to bob up and down. And I guess I look at it this way. You're either going to survive or you'll be down at the bottom of the pool and I'll have to do CPR on you, which will be scary for you. Now, Matt, you said, told the goat this. Yeah, I told her. So I put her in the, <laughs> I put her out there and she she's going up and down. Literally, she's kicking her legs because and I'll tell you why I did this. And you'll understand because we eventually had to go up against Sharapova. And that was a game changer when she beat her and she never lost her again. But what happened was Serena does it and she swims over half dead. And she says, I did it. I said, well, you know, when they told me I won the first world heavyweight title, they said, well, that's a fluke. I said, that's a fluke, Serena. We're going to do it again. And so we did it. And two more times. And she says, and she says, why? Why did you make me do that? She said, I said, you were gasping for air. And I said, that's exactly what I saw you do. So if it happens to you on the court, you know you can survive. The trust Serena places in Mackie ought to be evident by now. That has also resulted in Mackie being more, much more than a fitness trainer for her. His larger role is borne out in many ways, including the fact that Serena chose Mackie to officiate her wedding with internet entrepreneur Alexis Ohanian. We asked Mackie to tell us about that. So Serena um, and her husband, um, Alexis, likes New Orleans very much. Serena had been to New Orleans. People don't know that Serena stayed in my house. and My wife used to be head of tourism for the city of New Orleans, my wife, Sandy. And so Sandy drove her around and um, and took her all around to see venues. And Serena's staying in the house under the guise of working with me, but she paid a, ser- a real price for that when we went to work, <laughs> you know? And so, so they come back and it's right before the wedding. She's got the baby, the baby gets the flu. I got to get the baby over to the children's hospital. Serena has to go off and get some um, documentation to get married and, and then they, they haven't found anyone to do it. And, they, and then finally they said, Mackie, you do it. And I said, me do it? <laughs> and I said, I have to be a minister. So I went and got licensed. No, you did not. And, I, and I'm, thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm going to end up in jail or divorce court. And so, and so I call a friend of mine, uh, Monique Morial, whose brother was the former mayor in New Orleans. Yeah. And I said, she's a judge. And I said, Judge, Monique, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta come sign some papers. I, I don't want to go to jail. And so they had me, and I got, um, I got um, Dr. Francis, who was Chancellor of Xavier University. And yeah. I said, Well, I'm gonna let him read the scripture. Mm. And so, and so they came in, and we had to rehearse. And of course, I can tell you, being married, the the groom just shows up. You know, we're just an afterthought. So I had to approve the script with Serena. And it sounds at last minute. I'm the only guy they let have a cell phone. I said, are you kidding me? I don't want that crazy woman coming over here, finding me and telling me change this and this. You let me keep my phone. And so they did. And I mean, I made some script changes at the end. And so here it comes. He reads the scripture. Then everyone comes up. And so we get to the. It's now uh, a now uh, husband and wife, and then they're about to turn away and walk out. And I said, "Hold on!" <laughs> Wait during the ceremony. Yeah, you yeah. said, "Hold on." I said, "Hold on!" Okay. You can't leave right now. 
I said, I got one more line. <laughs> and, and, and of course, the band is about to go off on my line and start playing. So, and Serena, and being the perfectionist as she is, she probably picked up that you didn't hit your line. Well, I had one more. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, it is with the greatest pleasure that I introduce you to Mr. and Mrs. Alexis Ahani. I said, now you can go. And so then they go out. And so as they come out, it's my turn to come out. And so the band's playing. So I had my script. So I started dancing because they got Beyonce there and I'm doing that. So I earned the title of the Dancing Reverend. Mackie dancing with Beyonce? That's some visual, almost as surreal as the one of Serena underwater holding up a jug of Clorox bleach. We'll be right back with more of our conversation on the GOAT Serena after this. Let's bring in our other guest, one who has lived an experience similar to Serena's on their common quest for tennis immortality. Martina Navratilova is an 18-time Grand Slam singles champ, tied with Chris Evert for third on the Open Era list behind Serena and Steffi Graf. But if you include doubles and mixed doubles titles, she has more major titles than anyone. She is currently an analyst for Tennis Channel. So happy to have our guest today, Martina Navratilova, legend and all-time great. Martina, thank you for joining us. Thanks, girls, always. So Martina, you know, I want to get your perspective. Serena, 23 Grand Slam titles, you know, so much uh, discussion about her as the GOAT, but you are the all-around GOAT with a mind-boggling 59 Grand Slam titles across singles, doubles, mixed. What's most impressive to you about her game? Well, what's most impressive for me is how she won so many majors after she was 30, because, uh, you know, it gets harder when you get older the same time she was a relatively young 30 in in tennis terms in that she didn't play that many matches. Serena's longevity may have been enhanced by all the time she has missed due to injury and other factors. Serena has had to skip 16 majors since she played her first one. That's four years worth of majors. Roger Federer, who is also 40 years old and the owner of 20 major singles titles, has missed only eight slams, all within the last six years. Also, by focusing on the major events, Serena has saved wear and tear on her body. Serena has played 1,007 matches in her career. Martina played 1,669. Focusing almost exclusively on the majors was a luxury Navratilova and most other players who came before her did not enjoy. It's no coincidence that right now we have the four people that won the most titles other than Steffi Graf, Novak Djokovic, Rafa, Roger, and Serena, because that's all tennis has become is about the majors. The other tournaments basically is paid practice. You know, I, w- I would play between 70 and 80 matches every season. Uh, singles and then of course i'll play doubles and everything as well so um it's it, the 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 mentality was different and then of course the tour was huge the tour was bigger prize money than the majors wow I, and i just came off the australian open and ivan gulagon won twelve thousand for winning the australian open two weeks earlier 
And then Chris Everett won the San Francisco tournament in 75, two weeks later, and got $10,000. And there was a $50,000 event, but it was 20% of the prize money went to the winner. The earnings of the top pros grew so much over the years that the very best ones can now afford to skip most of the weekly tour events that traditionally carry the game from one major to the next. At the same time, the talent pool has become much deeper and tennis has undoubtedly become more punishing physically. Longevity has also increased due to advances in training, recovery, rehab, and general fitness. Martina, you were a pioneer of fitness and off-court training, and you really revolutionized, you know, players' approach to that to that aspect in your career. You know, how important was that to your longevity? And even when you look at Serena's longevity, you know how well she's played post thirty. Um, do you see that? Uh, do you see a correlation between that? Yeah, I think so. Well, first of all, we are pretty good physical specimens, so there's a good start, right? The DNA, we, we are very lucky that way. We're lined up right, so we don't have the issues that many people have and have to stop playing, uh, you know, good bone, like strong bones, and and, and, and then we worked at it. And uh, uh, for me, it wasn't necessarily to be stronger, but I wanted to be able to hit my serve just as hard in the third set as I did in the first set without losing any uh, any control. The stronger you are, the more control you have as you're hitting the shot, so the safer it is. Um, it wasn't about not getting injured because I wasn't getting injured before, but I just wanted to be quicker and be able to play all out on every single point without trying to save myself for, for mm-hmm. something later. Uh, you know, And also just to play the points the right way. Um, and... Um, and, 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 but we didn't know really what to do. So I kind of, my training was kind of old school. Uh, and also as far as taking care of your body, you know, that was, that was really novice in that my very first tournament I ever played was in Fort Lauderdale, in fact. Uh, and uh, the very first, and I had to play qualifying in the very first uh, match I played, I pulled a muscle in my stomach because I was trying to serve harder uh, than you know, playing against the big girls. I was 16 years old. And I was a string bean before I started getting, putting on some weight. Uh, the doctor told me to go in the, sit in the jacuzzi. Of course, it starts throbbing like mad. So I got out. I'm like, well, that's not right. But it didn't occur to me to put ice on it. Had I put ice on it, I would have been good in two or three days. Mm-hmm. Instead, for five weeks, I played. I was just rolling the serve in because I couldn't serve. But we played eight weeks in a row. Finally, the fifth week, I lost first round qualifying. So I had to take a week off and then my stomach healed by not playing, but ice, oh my God, nobody knew that. So that's why you see players playing so much longer at full strength because the care that they're getting is perfect from the get-go. You know, we were kind of trying to figure it out. So nowadays players can take care of their body so much better when there is a problem. And, uh, and of course, the care of not getting the problem in the first place is much better. The prevention is much better that they know exactly specifically what exercises to do, it, et cetera. Mm-hmm. They play less, I think, but the game is more physical, no doubt about that. But uh, I think the biggest difference is being able to take care of your body that much better with, of course, nutrition, uh, training, stretching yoga all that stuff and uh and and if something does go wrong you can you can fix it much quicker there's one other interesting wrinkle here serena has been denied one of the great drivers of longevity rivalry 
It's something Martina had with Chris Evert and others. Something Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, and Rafael Nadal have had with each other. A rival pushes and prods you to stay current. In some cases, it's someone you chase. In others, it's someone who's chasing you. The fact that she was denied that kind of motivation speaks volumes about Serena's character as a competitor. We asked Martina for her thoughts on that. I think the closest would be Justine Enon would be the closest rival. And, and of course, her sister Venus. Uh, but she didn't really have, she wasn't lucky enough to have a Chris, you know. And, and there's nothing you can do about that. There were a lot of pretenders. Azarenka looked like she was heading that way, but then that fizzled out. And then she got pregnant. She got injured and then she got pregnant. And then, you know, never, never, I think beat her, beat her at the Open a couple of years ago, but that was it. So Venus and Justine, that's it. And that's why you had so many um, players that have now had the opportunity to win a Grand Slam because, you know, I, I always have that talk, you know, it's like, I grew up with, you know, Martina, I grew up with, you know, um, Chris, I grew up, you know, with Monica, Steffi and all that. It's like, you know, so... I saw some real goats. <laughs> so you see having it, having more of a rival as a benefit. Yeah, absolutely. It pushes you. Uh, you can't only be as good as your opponent. You can't hit great shots if you're not pushed into hitting great shots. You mm-hmm. can't make yourself hit great shots, right? You play with with a, with a uh, club player. It's like, yeah, nobody's going to see you hit a great shot because you, you, they don't push you to that. And, and and with rivals like that, uh, you have to strive to improve because you can't just kind of hold on to what you have. You have to do better than that. And so Chris and I did that with each other. Um, and maybe we would have won more without the other, but we probably wouldn't have been as good a tennis player. So, you know, it's that kind of trade off. Well, Martina makes an often overlooked point and one worth thinking about as we close out part one of the holy grail of longevity. We hope you enjoyed this ride. You can probably now see why Serena has developed such a strong bond with Mackie Shillstone. He's passionate, extremely loyal, protective, a little outrageous, and blessed with an outsized personality. Kind of reminds you of someone else who's been central to Serena's life, doesn't it? Her father, Richard Williams. Mackie has been there for Serena through thick and thin, Her longevity and the success she's had since enlisting his aid are testaments to his expertise as a fitness trainer. Yet their relationship seems to be more than just trainer and player. It's hard to quantify Mackie's personal impact on Serena, but it's probably significant that Serena has always had such a strong team around her. In addition to Venus and the rest of her family, she has also built long-term relationships with most of the members of her team, including Mackie Shillstone. We also need to thank Martina Navratilova for shedding some light on how and why Serena has been able to amass 23 major singles titles and how the game has changed since Martina was on a similar mission. Martina will join us again when we focus on the mental health aspect of longevity. We'll ask why some superior athletes, pros like Serena, Tom Brady, and Michael Jordan, can withstand and grow accustomed to the pressure that is part of their daily life. 
You won't want to miss some of Martina's observations on mental health and the special challenges that so many of today's young players, including Naomi Osaka, are having to face. Oh, and I don't want to embarrass my co-host here, but I'd like to leave you with Mackie's response when we asked him to describe a favorite moment with Serena. This is what he said. Yeah, it happened recently. Um, Actually, it was under um, Zena's tutelage. And by the way, I have to tell you, you know, I've worked with a lot of coaches. Zena's experience is known. Zena's uh, ability to um, confer the game. But what is an intrinsic factor that no, very few people have is the the ability to capture the attention of the athlete. Mm -hmm. Much less the respect. But she wouldn't be there had she not had the respect. But the moment came when when we were out running and doing our stuff and she pulls me over and um, and she says, you know, I, I, I've never told you this, uh, but I have to tell you, you treat me like your daughter. I have two sons, 33 and 30, and I don't, my wife and I have no daughters, but you know how to be hard on me at the right time. Wow. But she says, but you love me like a daughter. Oh, wow. The Goat Serena was written by Pete Boda. This season is hosted by Zena Garrison and Chanda Rubin. Produced and directed by Mark Francis and Scott Waxman. Our consulting producer is Andrew Kalb. Production assistance from Anita Okoye. And our social media consultant is Stephen Tompkins. Original music by Andy Marvel. Our director of marketing and business development is Jacob Bronstein. Executive producers, Scott Waxman and Mark Francis. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum at UTA and Susan Canavan. Diversion Podcasts.